Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 194th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in sunny Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling here in uh, Beaverton. Did some spring cleaning last week, so I'm in a very clean environment for the first time in a long time since we recorded it. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy, man. Uh, being a Blazer fan, not so much, but... I'm 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 here. I'm ready to talk about our team. Yeah, definitely been on the same cleaning bandwagon. Just I mean, cleaned out medicine cabinet, the pantry. I mean, just doing yard work, making sure everything is in tip top shape. Finally, can go outside without it raining. But Sage, let's get into this this podcast. The Blazers had a rough week. Not surprising. With Damian Lillard still uh, mending his growing injury, which occurred uh, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, excuse me, before All-Star break. He is he is still out. And the Blazers had it had a pretty rough week going one and three. And that one win uh, coming against a very shorthanded Detroit Pistons squad. So just to quickly recap how the week went for Portland. Started things off on the right foot, beating the Pistons 107-104, nearly blew a nearly 20-point lead in in the first half, but came back, snapped out of it behind uh, CJ and Mello, combining for damn near 70 points. They hung with Boston as long as they could at home, but the Celtics, and especially Jason Tatum, were just too much, beating the Blazers 118-106. The Blazers then had two of their three games against Eastern Conference foes, on the road, they lost a hard-fought contest on TNT against the Indiana Pacers, 106-100, and then were never really in the game against the Atlanta Hawks, losing 129-117, to dropping their overall record to 26-35 and on the season. That is now the 11th best record in the Western Conference, San Antonio. New Orleans and Memphis are all ahead of them for that eighth seed. And then Sage, if it's get if the, the season ended today, which it doesn't, the Blazers would have a, a winning percentage of 42.6%. That would be the lowest since the 2013 season, which was Damian Lillard's rookie year. And conversely, the last time the Blazers did not make the playoffs. And Sage, with just 21 games left to go, Damian Lillard's return, there's really no light at the end of the tunnel. They're being very coy with all of their injuries, uh, especially Zach and, and Yusuf Nurkic. I, I'm not certain that, that the playoffs are, are really going to, to be in our future, to be, to be quite honest. I, I mean, I read something on uh, 38, uh, that, that basketball. 538. Uh, 538. That said the Pelicans had like a 70% chance of making the playoffs. And as the Blazers keep losing, that that chance that we make it is just going lower and lower and lower. Yeah, the, the New Orleans Pelicans, if I was a betting man, I would go to Vegas right now and put anything I could down on them being the team to come out uh, of that that group of five or six teams to, to win 
uh, that that eighth seed. I also think it would be a very entertaining uh, 1-8 matchup. I mean, not only do you have the storylines of the Pelicans playing against their former teammate and Anthony Davis, but the world is now getting to watch Zion Williamson. They're probably going to get to know Drew Holiday, and Brandon Ingram was a first-time All-Star. So that would be one of the more entertaining matchups. A lot of narrative. Yeah, and if the Blazers can't get in there as a basketball fan, that is what I would want to see. Yes, I know the Memphis Grizzlies uh, just beat the Lakers last night in Memphis, but with Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, out, yeah, out two weeks, um, Brandon Clark. I mean, they have a lot of holes to and their And their schedule's tough, man. They have like. one of the most difficult schedules, and the Pelicans have the easiest. If Portland has the second easiest, the Pelicans have the easiest. And it's just uh, a rough season for the Trailblazers whenever we seem to, to get something going. Uh, an injury takes place, or in the case of the Utah Jazz game, human error comes into factor and kind of smacks us back down to reality. And it, we just have never been able to consistently put together a 10 to 15 game stretch where we're six or seven games above 500 and just really making hay. Uh, every time we do win three or four in a row, we, we then somehow lose six of seven. And you just kind of have to come to, to terms with that. But uh, it, it w- it's been, I think, extra frustrating watching the team without Damian Lillard because it's not for a lack of effort. I mean, it's just a pure lack of talent. I mean, when you look at the rotation players that we are giving big, big time minutes to, you're looking at Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., Wenyan Gabriel, Nasir Little, Caleb Swanigan, Mario Hazonia, that is, without any disrespect to those players, that is a summer league roster, and we are letting, I mean, not letting, I mean, they, by, by nature of who we have healthy, they are being, you know, given an opportunity to play, and a lot of times I don't think they're really ready for it, and teams are taking advantage, and you'll see when CJ goes out of a game, or when Melo or Hassan go, goes out, I mean, good God, we have one player taller than 6'9", and that is Hassan Whiteside. The team just plays well for a quarter or two, and, and they fizzle out because they just don't have the bench that that carries them. And it's just it's frustrating to watch because you see they're fighting, they're scrapping, they just don't have the experience, they don't have the basketball IQ on the defensive end to really know where to be at this point in their career. And you know, if you had Damian Lillard, you're, you're winning the majority of those games. And then obviously you throw in the other injured players and then we'd really be rolling and making some music. But that's not reality. This is the team that we have at our disposal right now. And so the Blazers are doing the best with what they can do. But as a fan, it's just frustrating to see them bust their ass and just really go all out. But it just it it not show up in that win. Well, I mean, outside of Mario Hazonia, every single one of them could still be college eligible. Like they could be in college right now and to expect those young men who have all the talent in the world and could develop into something special, go against like professional basketball players that are, uh, you know, on the benches of some teams. It's just a little, it's kind of unfair in a way to expect them to be good when they're not playing simple, not ready for that, uh, that challenge yet. You you hit it right. That you said the right word that I was thinking. They're not ready, and I would 
it's kind of the the era, the nature that we live in where you got to go, got to get drafted, you got to get your money. And I understand that for, for a job security, we're all out here looking for jobs and we want a job that is secure that we know we're taken care of. And so that's why these players are declaring so early and that they're getting their first round grade. I was watching the Arizona UCLA game last night and Richard Jefferson was on the call with, with Bill Walton and, and Dave Passion. He was you know, talking about Nico Mannion, and he's the point guard for the University of Arizona, and he's a projected lottery pick. He He's not ready. Richard Jefferson, Arizona alum, basically came out and said as much. He is not ready. I mean, he talked about how Mike Bibby would have been the top pick, came back for a sophomore year, and ended up being second overall. And he's not blaming the players for leaving, but he's also stating that maybe they're not looking as well as they should be. I mean, people are tell- saying that this is a more of a, of a weaker draft class, but it could be because players feel like they only get one year at college and they're trying to put so much pressure on their games and it's not really turning into results and they're not, they're not producing. And he basically said in a nutshell, it's not the worst thing in the world to go back to school. Like you don't have to get everything accomplished in one year. And I think if NBA GMs would, would give sophomores and juniors and seniors more leeway when drafting them, you would see players stick around for a little bit longer to improve their games. And obviously, each individual case is unique. Some players need the finances. Some players just feel like they're ready. Other players probably should take the extra year or two. I mean, if you look, I mean, think of Gary Trent Jr. He went in the second round. Yes, he's developing well, but had he stayed at Duke, he'd be a starter right now. Gary Trent Jr. would probably be a top five, top ten pick. I mean, his body, his skill set, his tenacity on defense. I mean, I'm thankful we have him at, at where we were able to get him at that cost. But for him, as, as an individual, as a basketball player, it probably would have been a better situation to stay. And I am not advocating for, for college basketball that they should... I'm fully on the pay the players bandwagon. But when you're looking at the talent level coming in were essentially using some players first or second years as redshirt years just so they can become NBA level players down the road. And how it ties back to Portland is they're getting their they're not getting the redshirt year. I mean you're looking at Simons and he's had an up and down season. You're looking at Nasir Little who has shown flashes but also has shown how green he is. I mean you're looking at Wenyan Gabriel who's just a burst of energy, but really doesn't, he, he doesn't um, have the fundamentals down of, okay, this is, you know, how I'm going to, you know, get my mechanics right in my jump shot, or this is what I need to do in this situation. Like he, he's all heart and hustle right now. I mean, he's got a bright future, but you've got players that just, and I'm not trying to, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but they, they don't know how to play basketball just yet at this level. And that comes with time. That comes with playing time and time and maturity. Maturity, I mean, like, maturity. You, yep, you nailed it right there. I mean, Zach Collins would be a senior right now. Yep. We have a young group of players right now that, in another universe, could still be in college developing and not having this pressure put on them. But you know, every case is different, and we don't know all of their backgrounds for why they decided to come out. I mean, shit. Zach happened to be a lotto pick, so shit, it worked out for him. But uh, on the other side, there's Gary Trent. But, like, you know, there, there's some people that are ready right now, like Zion and Jaw and 
that's about it on that front. I mean, Rory could have used some more seasoning. A lot of these guys could have used some more seasoning, but they are in the NBA now and they they get the benefit of a lot of money and then, you know, people like us and blog people criticizing their games, but they're 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 ready for it. Uh, or at least they decided to be. But uh I like to think of it more as critiquing. Like I'm not criticizing their their work ethic or how they play the game. It's more like, you know, this could be done better in a sense of, you know, there's just, we all develop professionally. Like I look at, you know, I I work in social media. I look at stuff that I posted in 2012, 2013, 2014. And then you look back, oh man, why did I do it like that? And you feel really good about how you're doing it now. So just everybody gets better with time. And we all hit our peak professionally. It's more, are you ready to be thrown into the fire? Unfortunately, our players aren't ready, but they have to be. I mean, that's just the nature of, of, of this season's beast is, you know, it's next next player up and you've got to go in there because we don't have healthy bodies. We got eight, nine guys. Yeah, I mean, like shit, if you listen to the first 40 episodes of the Holy Backboard, they were bad. And now like, dog, I remember spending a lot of time on that first episode and being like oh shit this is awful like i yeah man like you get better with time you get better with experience so i mean at least hopefully we can use this bad season as a way of developing our young players for the future they got that the royal jelly of actually being on the court outside of nasir little yeah, and so for a case like Nasir Little, like I want to see him get get more playing time. Uh, if we're focusing for for next season, you know, Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza, we can pull their minutes back a little bit more. I mean, I, I know the team is still fighting for the playoffs as they should, but we're not winning with them playing thirty five, thirty eight minutes a night. So we might as well reduce their workload. So in the case of Trevor Ariza, he's probably going to get picked up. He's probably going to be the starter next year. We want him to have his legs as fresh as possible. And if we do decide to work out a deal with Carmelo Anthony to bring him back, he is able to be more fresh and rejuvenated as well. I mean, these are no spring chickens. They are both 35 plus. Nasir Little is, yeah, Nasir Little can't even drink alcohol yet. You know, he, he's, he, they're, they're so young. He can go out there, let him get some time. I mean, that, that's kind of my philosophy right now is, the players aren't ready to play, but this is one way to speed up that development. I mean, like, I know Terry Stotts doesn't particularly like playing rookies. We've we've seen it a lot, but damn it, man. I feel like he could contribute more than certain players like Mario Hazonia. Like, why does he why does Mario Hazonia even get off the bench? I that that's a question. That's a question we've asked the entire year, though. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever get a straight answer to that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's Terry's way of coaching, and they believe that watching from the bench is a way to see the game from a different perspective rather than than playing out there. But I would still lean towards firsthand experience. I mean, let these guys go. you know, you know, really, that this season, we're down to 21 games left. I mean, time, we're, we're in March. We have, you know, the season ends April 15th. You know, we've got about 45 days left in the season. It's 
quickly coming to an end, a season that feels like it's taken an eternity to to complete, and we don't want to rush Yusuf Nurkic back, you don't want to rush Zach Collins back, and you certainly don't want to rush the franchise Damian Lillard back. And so I was at that that Detroit game, and it looked for a while like, oh, this is a Blazer team that can win without Damian Lillard. We were up 20, we were playing the passing lanes, we were hitting our shots, and then all of a sudden our defense broke down, and our offense really stagnated, and we went a little bit... We just didn't have that 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 synergy, that, that ball movement, that that cohesiveness that has been missing for the entire season. We had it for a quarter, and it was fantastic. And it took a lot to beat, I think, arguably the worst team in the league right now, given who's injured and who they have bought out. I mean, the Pistons team is not good, and we struggled mightily to, to get that victory, and I was thrilled we got it. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh man, it was that difficult to beat the Pistons without Dame. I, you know, and I go back and forth on this because I want Dame to come back. I want him to get the individual accolades. But at the same time, everything needs to be focused towards next season. And and if he is 100% healthy, let him play. I mean, I'm not going to say, say say no to watching Damian Lillard play, play basketball. But I do think there needs to be a conversation with management that says, okay, it, when we get mathematically eliminated, either sit some games or we're capping the minutes at 30. Because it, it at that point, it just doesn't make sense. And technically, when you're mathematically eliminated and you win games, you're really hurt. You're hurting yourself. Yeah. I mean, just looking at those those draft odds, you get so much more benefit even if you jump up a couple of spots. And so Portland has been 14th for the longest time, and you get a 2.4% chance at getting into the top four. Those percentages almost double as you move up. And so 13th is 4.8%. 12th right now is 7.1%. We have we would have a 7.1% chance to go, jump into that top four spot. I was just doing a bunch of simulations um, over the weekend and at a tankathon, and I, I did it. I mean, I just counted where, where I stopped. There was five instances in 48 tries where the Blazers were able to get into that top four. And that was when we had the 13th best best uh, best odds. And so we're at 12. There There is, I would say 10 is probably the highest we can go. And it's not really necessarily about this draft. It's, as we've discussed, it's to have that asset to... It's flexibility. It's something you can can keep for the future. It's something you can move to win now. It's also increases your odds of getting a better asset. And that would be the real reward for this season is going through and being like, you know, the season didn't help us out too much, but we got lucky. I mean, so much success in the history of the NBA, luck has played such a significant part in it. I mean, you look at the Blazers. We were lucky that the New Jersey Nets at the time wanted to keep Darren Williams happy and traded their lottery pick for Gerald Wallace. That pick turned into Damian Lillard. We were smart in 2013 when we were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. We started losing. We lost 13 straight games. What did that get us? That got us the 10th pick, CJ McCollum. So 
it, it works out. And luck works in other ways, too. You go back to the 2006 draft. The Blazers have the worst record. We get all the way bumped out of the, the top three. We are the fourth pick in that draft. But what do we do? We were able to say, okay, we're going to get LaMarcus Aldridge. We're going to, you know, we'll work a deal with the Bulls, Tyrus Thomas. And then, okay, you guys value Sebastian Telfair, Boston. You didn't get that top pick. We know who you were looking for. You trying to win now. Okay, we're going to take Brandon Roy. And so we really built that era through the draft. And we, we got lucky. Yes, it didn't work out our way. But we got lucky the following year in getting that number one pick. And just as luck was in our favor for that number one pick, luck was not in our favor for how that number one pick turned out. But luck is the overarching theme of how teams can be so successful. And we can go down every franchise, but one that just sticks out in my mind is the San Antonio Spurs. They were perennial contenders throughout David Robinson's tenure. Well, one year he goes down for the entire season. They just so happened to win that lottery, the Tim Duncan lottery, and that set them up for the next 20 years. It's it's luck. And hopefully the Blazers can get a little bit of luck uh, throughout the rest of the season, whether that's making the playoffs or getting a little bit lucky in the draft lottery. But Lord knows this franchise could use a little bit of lady luck right about now. We talk about flipping that asset, but if we get lucky... We just replenished a lot of uh, we we got some, a, a new player that potentially could fix a lot of the holes that are given. I mean, it's it's not really a, a top heavy draft, but come on, a top four pick that's going to help a lot of holes and be a cost controlled contract for eight years, which for how ballooned our salary cap is, is incredibly valuable. Exactly. I mean, you look, you know, I've been since Dame went down and I've seen how the team has looked with Lillard out, really shifted my focus. Okay, the, the playoffs likely aren't going to happen. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's it's unlikely, especially with Damian Lillard's timetable so, so uncertain. I mean, he didn't even travel with the team on this Eastern Conference road trip so he could stay back and, and rehabilitate. And he probably will come back, but we have just lost so much ground in those five or six games that, that he's missed. And then you factor in how well New Orleans is playing and then the gap that Memphis already had. It's going to be tough to overcome. And so this season's been a lot of shifting of emotions and expectations and what you, yeah, what you want to get out of the season. And so now it's just, it's tuning into every game, watching to see if we can get the win. It's, it's always fun to win and see player development. Mellow's passing somebody Every night on the all-time scoring list, CJ's getting almost triple doubles with Dame out. Gary Trent's been you know producing really well. His development has been a nice surprise. But even if we are coming up on the losing end, it's knowing that there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, did did Sacramento win? Did did Phoenix win? You know, are we able to pass them in those uh, lottery standings? How high can we get up? And you know, what players look well? And you know, I really started to to watch more college basketball. Uh, see see a few prospects. Um, I caught Obi Toppin's game from Dayton on Friday. Um, I've seen quite a bit of Arizona, so Nico Mannion, Josh Green, and uh, watched some highlights uh, of Danny Avija, the, the small forward from uh, Tel Aviv. And you know he looks really well too. So there are there are prospects out there that can help the Blazers, or if we want to trade that player for a, a, a great package to get Dame some help. Let's do that too. So it's it's a, it, 
it's a win-win. It's a win-win scenario. Lottery picks are pretty damn valuable. I mean, you see at the deadline, second-round picks are tossed around like nothing, but first-round picks are very hard to attain unless you're giving up a real talent. And Neil O'Shea's strength. Drafting. Drafting, absolutely. So, I mean, like, I mean, there, there's absolutely reasons to tune into every game. You get to see Gary Trent. You get to see CJ be the, the one. Actually, that, here's the question. How do you feel about CJ being the lead ball handler? He's putting up great stats, and you can tell he's busting his ass. It's just we don't have the talent around him to win games. But just as CJ McCollum in these these games without Dame, how do you feel about him as the lead guard on, on a basketball team? The beautiful thing about the Blazers playing without Damian Lillard is we get – so basically you, we put out a hypothesis that says if C.J. McCollum was on an Eastern Conference team – So C.J.'s usage goes up so much. His field goals say the same even though he's shooting more. And he's assisting at such a better percentage. A lot of the time when we critique CJ, it's a he is a scoring dependent guard. Well, as the lead ball handler, he's passing, he's rebounding, and he's scoring a lot more. And with additional shots, he's still staying as efficient as he normally is. Like statistically, he's doing a real good job. It just we don't have the skilled players for it to be, you know, resulting in wins, his production. And so you asked how, how I feel. I feel good about how CJ has been playing. I don't put the wins and losses on him as a player. There's just not enough talent around him. It doesn't matter who we play. But as I, as I was talking about our hypothesis that if CJ were in the East or running his own team, he would be an all-star. And I think over this, this five game span, he has proved that hypothesis to be correct. I mean, he has not had fewer than 27 points. He's had a damn near a triple-double in that Detroit game where he had 41, 12, and 9. He's shooting the ball with really a much stronger efficiency in in three of those games. Excuse me. He has shot over... 45% 45% for, from the field. And that's higher than what he has been doing, especially since he's been tasked with a much stronger workload. Defenses are keying in, keying in on him much more than they would if he had Damian Lillard to take some of that, that attention off of him. And what I've really been impressed with has been the assists. So you go 10 against New Orleans, 12 against Detroit, 10 against Boston, 8 against Indiana, and 5 against Atlanta. And really, he's doing a nice job of not turning the ball over too much. Just 17 turnovers in five games. So that's about three turnovers a night, given his usage, as you mentioned, playing about 40 minutes a night. The only area that I want to see CJ do better in right now is free throws. I mean, he's he's even talked about it on the air after that Detroit game. He doesn't know what's causing it. He obviously puts in the work. Uh, they're just not falling for him this year. But CJ is playing like the CJ we thought we were going to get this entire season. And... It kind of comes down to, okay, does he does he need the ball in his hands? 
can, can he work off the ball? Because you, you don't want to take the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands. I know Terry Stotts kind of talked about um, to start the year, how we're going to play him off the ball like Golden State does Curry. That's just, that's not Dame's game. Dame, Dame is a point guard. He has the ball in his hands. So where does CJ go off then? Because you don't just want to do what the Rockets do with, with Westbrook and Harden where they kind of just take turns. You want to be able to play in, in, the, in the rhythm of the game, especially when Dame takes his break. Okay, CJ, you got to come in and take the ball. But when they're both on the floor, one of them is going to have to be better off the ball for this to, to for this you know relationship to really go to the next level. I mean, it's already at a good spot, but for them as the top two players on the team, the top highest paid players on the team, they're going to have to find a way to be better in the regular season. In the playoffs, they've proven that they figure it out because the playoffs, the game slows down. It's much, it's much more slow. That the pace is is, is slower. It's a much more of a half-court type of offense, and that's where they're able to kind of operate both in isolation situations. But in the regular season, it's up and down. The pace is, is more free-flowing. The referees uh, call a tighter game. Playoffs, it's much more, you know, they let the physicality go a bit. And so that's where you need somebody to be able to create your own offense. And so that's why I'm really hesitant to trade C.J. McCollum, because come postseason, if Dame's your only guy that can can create his own offense, you're going to be in, in, on struggle street. You yeah, look multiple- at what Chris Paul. I mean, that's like the perfect example outside of Houston. Where has been the secondary ball handler in any of his teams? J.J. Redick or, you know, Gennaro Pargo was probably his best, like, uh, guy that could create his own shot. It puts a lot of pressure, and in the playoffs, you target that lead ball handler. Look what we do to Houston every time now. Look what we did to Trey Young. We got the ball out of his hands in that first half, and he had a really shitty first, and then kind of went off in the second. Like Teams are just going to target you, and especially now in the playoffs where zone is such a big deal. Like You saw last year against the Nuggets. We, we, we switched. We ran zone. We trapped. Like Could you imagine us going into the playoffs with only one real, real lead ball handler, he's going to get trapped way more than he did against New Orleans, way more than he did against Golden State. Like that, That's just going to happen. So having that secondary ball handler that is a fantastic person at creating his own space and shooting, and we see what happens when he's the number one guy. He's putting up really great stats. It's just, man, playoffs are a different beast than uh, regular season. But yeah, so a- as the lead, you think he could be an all-star? Absolutely. I mean, look at what Bradley Beal is doing. Yes, he wasn't an all-star, probably should have been. Back-to-back 53-point nights, scored 40 again, and you know he- he's losing, but he can't really control that. His team is so decimated with injuries as well, but that's always been kind of the debate. Who would you rather have, Bradley Beal or CJ McCollum? They're they're very similar talent players. One just happens to to run the, his own team. One plays with an elite player in Damian Lillard. And I think if the roles were reversed, CJ would probably be scoring fifty points, losing for the Washington Wizards, and Bradley Beal would probably be helping us get to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I absolutely think he could be an All Star in the East, and that's why you know if we're going to do this team Giannis versus Team LeBron. Why are we even having all-star voting based on conferences? It should be the best 24 players. Um, I've, I felt like that long before we even introduced the, this draft. Just because you're in a, a weaker conference 
shouldn't boost up your your chances at, at being an all star. So CJ McCollum is definitely one of the top twenty four players in, in this league. Um, that that's no doubt in my mind. I know people want to make the, a trade, but man, if we're thinking long term about it, having dual really good lead guards so useful in when games slow down and there's more traps you you know having cj on the floor with dame you can't help off of cj's man to uh switch it onto dame like man you got to respect both of them and when they're both hitting we don't lose i mean yeah if you're trading cj mccollum you better be getting another playmaker back or an elite elite big you basically need superstar talent if you're trading cj mccollum it's not to get multiple role players. It's your packaging CJ and role players to get that that creme de la creme to go along with, with Damian Lillard. And right now that player is just, just not available. And it, it would take a lot to, to move CJ, not only talent-wise, but the fact that he's, he's, he's part of the culture. I mean, we stripped so much of that culture away. A lot of it was necessary based upon the salary cap we were at. But a lot of our continuity is gone. And now... You move CJ, one of the longest tenured Blazers, that continuity weakens even that much more. And that's also Dame's running mate. Who knows, if you move CJ, does Dame's loyalty to the organization shift at all? And that's something that you really don't want to rock the boat with. So unless it is for an ultra superstar, CJ McCollum is staying in Portland. And the Blazers are just going to have to figure out other pieces to surround Dame and CJ with. Now, on paper, if fully healthy, I, I love the roster. It's it's constructed beautifully, but that's not where we're at in, in this point of time. We don't know if Yusuf Nurkic is going to play this year. And when he does play, how long is it going to take him to get back to his pre-injury status? Is he ever going to be the same player? Rodney Hood was shooting 50% from three. It How... One, is he going to play next year? We don't know how long Achilles is such a varying in injury in terms of the degree and the, the longevity in terms of recovery time. It, it's been shown, been proven that it's the most impactful injury. How will he recover from, from that? He was our matchup nightmare that we were able to throw the ball to. He was such a clutch player for us, really bought in, signed for less money to stay in Portland. We got Zach Collins. This was supposed to be the year that he makes that third-year leap a la Pascal Siakam. He has not been awarded that chance due to that injury. Will he ever be more than a role player? I mean, th there are just so many questions surrounding the future uh, of this Blazer team. And there, there's reason to be optimistic because on paper, it, it's fantastic. There's also reasons to be a little bit leery because the the that we haven't seen it. And there's... I mean, that's not even just the injuries. Can Hassan and Yusuf Nurkic coexist? I mean, we saw last night the Atlanta Hawks basically played Hassan Whiteside off the floor because they went small and spread him out. We tried to even stick him on, on the wing against a guy like DeAndre Hunter. Uh, he was not able to stick with John Collins on the perimeter. And, you know, we did some damage down low by giving him the ball, but it, it just wasn't a, a trade-off worth, worth really playing for. And so if you have a lot, if you have, you know, let's say Hassan gets a $12 million contract, you're committing $25 million to the center position, which in today's NBA, a little outdated. You know, are those two worth it? I mean, can, can they make it be worth it? I mean, yes, we know they're talented, but 
there's just there's just a lot of questions, and uh, the Blazers are going to have to to answer uh, a lot of those questions in, in the off season because you just cannot waste a generational talent like, like Damian Lillard. So again, as we dis- discussed in at length last podcast, the number one priority, I wouldn't say it's getting healthy. The number one priority is doing whatever physically possible within the rules of the collective bargaining agreement that you can to better this team for Damian Lillard. Obviously health has, has a role to do with it, but, but Dame, Dame's number one. What can you do to make Dame better? Every decision, if there's a flow chart, that's got to be the, the top of the list. Does this make Dame better? Does this make the team better around Dame? If it's no, fuck it. You're not doing it. Ne- next choice. You know, against that team in particular, Zach Collins would have been such a useful player because there's going to be teams like Atlanta, like Houston, that are going to outpace you. And if they're hitting you have to go small to adapt to that. And a Zach Collins would be perfect for that. We have to go small. We have to go athletic. We have to be able to switch one through five. A Zach Collins would be really helpful. And, you know, I I am worried about Yusuf. I am worried about Rodney Hood. But health-wise, if he gets the green light, I honestly predict that Zach Collins is going to play big minutes as soon as he possibly can. Because it isn't a leg injury. You assume that he's cardioed up and ready to play real minutes. Like, with, with those leg injuries, you have to be more cautious and you can't, like, push him too hard. But I, I Zach Collins is probably working out and is ready to contribute. So when that green light happens, I'm expecting him, if we played Atlanta again, which I know we won't, when they go small, Zach Collins is on the court playing the five. Yeah, and I think regardless of whether we're going to make the playoffs or not, it's it's important that if Nurkic and Collins are a hundred percent plus plus a week, so you hypothetically hypothetically, if you said on March eighth, Zach Collins, you're ready to return, you wait another week after that. So if you're a hundred percent plus plus some, you give yourself some some room for error. If Collins and Nurkic are healthy, you play them because you need to get their bodies accustomed to the NBA. Get them, get, let them work out the kinks because no matter what pickup game they play in, no matter what practices they have, it's not a simulation for the real thing. And they need to get as much under their belts as possible, especially a guy like Zach Collins, who he's only played a full year of basketball. He played sparingly in 2018. He got big minutes in in 2019. And this year, obviously, he's played like three games. So he needs as much repetition because, you know, he, he's a key. I mean, he is a factor. Um, like you mentioned, he is, he's the big in today's NBA that can, can go outside, shoot three, has some post moves, but can defend nearly every position on the floor. And those players are just invaluable. So if you can continue to get him comfortable, so he's ready in the fall. I mean, that, that's really what you want. Everything, you know, needs to be about Dame and getting ready for the fall. I, and, but I agree that both of them need time, but. The medical staff needs to address them as individual players. You can't you can't play Nurkic thirty minutes. You can with Zach if that shoulder is one hundred percent. Just because Zach's Zach's legs are going to be good. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen Zach Collins play, but I vividly remember him being in incredibly. He was yellow. Oh, I don't. I, 
he's yoked, but he's intelligent. Like he's you know, I was just saying his body had gotten bigger. Oh, this yeah. Like he was, he was looking ready to go. I mean, as a bit, you've watched basketball for 30 plus years. How many times does a 22 year old big have the basketball intelligence to when he's man on man, he isn't going to jump. But when he's the help side, he's jumping for that block. You don't see that. You see, I mean, with, with Hassan Whiteside, who's a 10 year vet, you see him jumping at shit, but he doesn't. Zach Collins knows I am the only person here to contest this. I am not jumping. I'm just going to contest that contest a shot like that. That intelligence as a basketball player is so highly valuable like even if that shot isn't as consistent as we'd, as we'd like, his basketball intelligence defensively, fuck, that shit's invaluable. You, you think Zach Collins is going to get abused by uh, John Collins against Atlanta? No, he's going to be smart enough to to know what he wants to do on the court, and he's athletic enough to stop him. Like Zach Collins is would have would have made Hassan Whiteside's life a whole lot easier this year. Yeah, it's it's a lot it's a lot to ask of Hassan when. You know, no disrespect to Carmelo Anthony, but he's never been known for his defensive prowess, and that's who you're paired with as, as your four. He I mean, looks Has- like Andre Drummond, bro. Could you Hassan imagine his lateral is, quickness? Yeah, Hassan's really just... He's the last line of defense, and a lot of times, and I, I pointed this out on Twitter, aside from Hassan, Nasir Little and Wenyan Gabriel are the only players that crash the glass or help him rebound. It's almost just like, I don't know if it's... Uh, a coaching philosophy that they're going towards, but we don't crash the glass at all to rebound. And he's the only one left there. And so he needs help. But uh, that that's kind of what we've been doing for a long time though. Like I remember Alan Crabb never crashed the glass. He would try and run in transition, but I mean, when there's a guy like Alan Crabb running in transition, you got to create and you're not really creating. If you're Alan Crabb, you want to, get that open shot. So there, I think that is a philosophy. It's just is really sad when it's one blazer Jersey versus four, you know, Pelicans. Every time too. Yeah. yeah. It does. It doesn't stop. I think that Wayne and, uh, Nasir just are like, uh, we gotta, we gotta crash. Cause it, it's been a thing for the last decade or not that decade, but the whole Terry Stotts era of, we don't send guards and wings into crash. And, uh, it, with a team like this, it's really glaring how bad we are at rebounding. I mean, we're one of the worst. It's 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 Hassan and then Mello when the shit goes into his area. Like, it, it would be so different laterally just to have a Zach Collins and a Mello. I mean, Mello has to be like one of the in the tenth percentile in lateral quickness. Now he's been in the league forever. He's not a a fast man, so. It really is Hassan versus everybody. And when Hassan, he is a shot. Like, if you looked at, if you had his archetype, it'd be paint defender, rim runner. So he's going to try and block shots, and he's in a rim run. When people are not respecting our shooting, they're going to make Hassan not as efficient. And when he's trying to block every shot, because that's what he is, we're giving up a lot of inside interior passes to bigs after Hassan tries to block the shot of the penetrating guard because our, uh, our perimeter defense is so, uh, well, fuck it. Disgusting. It's so bad that Hassan has to jump at everything. And when he does jump, 
we are out of position for rebounds and contesting the pass. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the perimeter defense because I think... Ariza makes it look a lot better, but... We caught a little bit of heat in the preseason because we were both really concerned, especially myself. I was really concerned how Phoenix came into our gym, and I think they shot 24 threes, and it was lights out. And people were just like, oh, it's preseason, no need to worry. I was worried then, and that was when everybody but, but Yusuf was healthy. The defense needs to improve, and I, I don't think we can just say, oh, Nurkic is going to come back and everything is going to be hunky-dory. The perimeter defense has been, yeah, that, that's the only way to put it. Like, it's been junior varsity level. I mean, these players, they're smarter than that. Like, I, I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's from a lack of, of continuity, but I, I, I noticed from that first preseason game against Phoenix, and it, and it tailored over into the opening night when Denver hit 18 threes and broke our opening night streak. It, it's been a continuous theme where we just do not guard the perimeter. We're out of position. We we jump at ball fakes. We don't rotate. We don't help the helper. Um, so I, I do caution, caution Blazer fans that feel like once we get healthy, everything's going to be fine because as well as Terry Stotts is as an offensive coach, defensively, Defensively, he, yes, but, you know, again, if we're talking about Dame and winning for Dame, he can't do it all. You can't expect him to go out and try and score 50 and then, and then play 50, you know, defense. You know, he's going to, he's going to have to find places where he can, can, can rest so he can carry, carry the team on offense. And so that's just where everybody needs to come together. And hopefully the addition of Trevor Ariza. Uh, can, can help that when everybody gets healthy, but I would like to see some better defensive principles because we are just getting cooked on 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 the, on the perimeter. I mean, it's it's everything. It's the fact that we aren't used to one another defensively. The scheme is lackluster in in a bunch of ways, mainly adapting to things that are happening in the game. We can we can we can talk about a lot of different circumstances in which we should have made a change but we didn't. We waited till the next game to implement the tra- that change. I mean, and we're the fourth worst defensive team this year. I bet you if I ch- uh changed it to the last 10, we'd be maybe the 15th. Last 10 were the uh fourth worst. So we are a bad defensive team. And the only way we really Wait, last make... last 10 games or last 10 years? 10 games. Oh, sorry. Like that 10 years. No, 10 games. Uh, I mean, like, the only way we can make our, our stands defensively right now with how bad we are is Hassan going for blocks and Ariza going for steals. Like, we have to make I those big plays. I will say I have been impressed with Gary Trent Jr.'s defensive Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Th- He's, he might I be think- one of our... Be- he is definitely one of our best defensive players. I think we need a little bit more more bulldog on this team. I think we need a little more asshole. Just, just fuck you. I'm getting that. I'm taking it from you. And I've seen him just rip the ball out of somebody else's hands. Like we need more of that. And if that's coming from the draft, free agency, trade, whatever, Gary Trent Jr. is cementing himself as a rotation player next year. Absolutely. And Ariza's still a bulldog. Oh, Reese doesn't take no shit. I mean, yeah. we saw Trey Young tried to nutmeg him, and he basically, you know, gave him a forearm shiver and was just like, "Don't, don't fucking do that to me again." Well, like, or don't attempt jo- us it. Kind of, kind of jokingly, but also like, no, you're not going to embarrass me like that. Like, I know you think it's all fun and and 
run and gun, but it's not how we do things out here. And you I mean, like, set, come set on, Doug. That's co- that's like legit one of the most disrespectful things you do it's as a model. So yeah. like, you don't take no shit and get. But that's old so- school. That's that's some shit that Maurice Lucas wouldn't. But I mean, I, I fuck with Mo- that. Lu- so Mo Lucas would have fucking cold cocked his ass. He would have suplexed the absolute shit out of him. I mean, if, if you've seen above the rim, uh, Moltov in that final game where he just basically boom put that elbow up there. Yeah. I mean, that's what Mo would have done. I mean, that just. That, and then stand over them. Yeah, that shit doesn't fly. So I was happy that that Ariza did that. Um, it's one thing to lose, but you can't get embarrassed like that. You have to have some team pride. So, so that, that was nice to see. We, I, I think we both can admit we need some talented enforcers on our team. More of them. Yeah, we need more assholes. I mean, that's just, I think Nurk is up there. I think Zach is up there. We're, we're missing our assholes. I mean, that's just, there's just something that they add on the floor. I mean, Dame plays with with that cocky swagger, but you you can't have your superstar be your enforcer. You got to have his goons around him. And yeah, it wasn't the only enforcer. He had all he had Rodman, he had Stale, Sally, Sally, he had, he had uh, Lambeer. Yeah, I mean, dude. Pff. Um, when did how many how many games did Dame miss? Six. He will miss six. He's missed five. Five currently. We actually okay, so so we're worse defensively now than we were with Dame. Do you think it's CJ realizing that he is the only person that can create offense for his guys and is taking more plays off defensively? Oh, I don't think it has anything to do with CJ's defensive. I mean, I I think it's because you take Dame out, who is a decent defender, and now Anthony Simons, Mario Hozonia, those types of players are. I mean, some somebody has to be picking up Dame's thirty eight minutes a night, and so you're going from average defender to really below average. Rock awful. Yeah, I mean, th- let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, they're young, they're, they're just not not a good defensive team. And, yeah, and, da- and, and it takes sh- time. It takes years. Yeah. I mean, like, the Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, Spurs rotations takes years of continuity and knowing what each player is going to do. It, Especially it in in today's NBA, when you're switching, switching multiple yeah. times on the same possession, sometimes you're not. You have to like have an innate communication with your other teammate that, yeah, that you just five. know. All yeah, five. you don't. You. It's not just that you're responsible for your own responsibility. You have to know that your teammate is aware of that as well, and, and have so, the intelligence and trust to help. Yeah, and it's just they're they're just young. They're probably playing sooner than they would they should be playing and i i would say one thing that that we have missed more than than i imagined was seth curry's defense and you always talked about that last year when he wasn't hitting a shot but how strong of a defender he was and that that's really anthony's anthony's weak area and obviously we couldn't bring seth curry back due to uh not having his bird rights or being able to afford an eight million dollar contract Good for him for getting it. Like, but we couldn't. I mean, that that that's that's been an underrated drop off right there. Is we do not have another perimeter defender, and Seth Curry was a strong defender, and just Anthony's not there. Anthony is really a rookie who is getting his feet wet for the first time. He's nineteen. And, and like, he's going up against the strongest positional group in the entire e- NBA ever, probably ever. Yeah, like who who who? What team has a bad point guard besides Detroit? Like the Clippers. But they they have Kawhi and Paul George to handle. But the ball. he wouldn't be. I'm talking about like, yeah. Pat Bev. Like, yeah, he's still a pretty good point guard. Yeah, he, he's fine. Like he's solid. 
I mean, Detroit still has Derrick Rose. Who's yeah, for sure. A good comeback year. Yeah, he, he, but he can only play 26 minutes. Like, there is – Jeff Teague is a backup point guard. Goran Dragic is a backup point guard. Those dudes were all-stars like four years ago. There's so many skill point – like, it is a point guard's league. The fact that he has to go against some former all-stars off the bench, that doesn't that that that's tough, man. Like you're going against some beasts. All right, Sage, let's take a quick commercial break and then get into the upcoming week's games. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holybackboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holybackboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, do you do you do you do you see that in the rear view? I know that you got that Atlanta game because I was confident in our team to do well. It's me coming up strong. Got that kick like I'm running a 400. You've won one game, bro, dude. I'm now four games back after a perfect four and week. You went three and one. <laughs> we, 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 I got the Atlanta game. Unfortunately, right. You got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Cause I had faith. Damn it. And they're oh, really- okay. Faith. <laughs> sure. Well, the, yo, you saw the stats that I was posting about how trash Atlanta was. It was just, I forgot how trash we were without them. I am now 35 and 26 on the year. You were 39 and 22, four games back. We need to figure out some sort of a tiebreaker in case it does come down to the wire. Uh, but it has been fun to track the games throughout this this season for the first time in our four or five years of doing this podcast. Have, so many seasons. We have four games on the docket. We end the road trip Monday night in Orlando. No Damian Lillard. We then come home for the Washington Wizards on, on March 4th. We have a back-to-back Friday in Phoenix, and then Saturday we come home to play the Sacramento Kings, who are playing really well right now and have a few victories over the Clippers, the Grizzlies. Uh, they are a team. They are a team that are, are is fighting for for the eighth seed. And so, Sage, let's talk about this Orlando game, a team that is currently seventh in the Eastern Conference. They are twenty-seven and thirty-three on the season, eleven and nineteen away from the Magic Kingdom, and five and five in their last 10. It has been some time since the Blazers have played the Magic. We defeated them on 80s night back on December 20th. But as is the case with with every as is the case with every team we play, uh you really throw it out because we don't have Dame, we don't have Rodney Hood. I mean, we don't have hardly anybody that that we had uh in that Orlando game and as you mentioned Jonathan Isaac is not in uniform for the Magic, but what has has the Orlando Magic in, in the playoff hunt out East Sage? They finally said, Aaron Gordon's a shitty three. Let's put him at the four. And he's really had some really great games this week. Like, they they tried to make the Vucevic, uh, Kem Birch, Aaron Gordon thing work. Uh, 
and they finally changed it to James Ennis, Gordon, and Voose. And Gordon has really, really stepped up as far as production in the last few weeks. Um, everything outside of his shooting is sustainable. He's shooting a little bit better than he should, but the rebounds are there. The the defensive presence is there. Like he is a good power forward, and Orlando's finally realizing that they need to put him there and have a sort of shooter near him. They're a good defensive team. Um, I expect that CJ the the one spot that they're weak at is having penetrating guards get into their into the middle and score. So I imagine that CJ will do well against this team. But good defensive team. Gordon's playing really well. Vooch is going to go crazy because he goes crazy against Hassan. Uh, I imagine v- uh, Hassan will go right back at him with scores. But I, I imagine that the point guard and the center is going to do well. And they do a really good job at defending two through four. Who do you got? I got to go Orlando, man. We're just playing so bad. Yeah, I'm going to go Orlando as well. Uh, Casey Holdall tweeted out that Anthony Simons is hurt. With the right ankle sprain is questionable. We have two guards. Yeah, I mean, no Dame. This is the last game of a road trip. Um, I I, I think the X factor for me is going to be a guy like Gary Trent Jr. Can he have another 20-point night? CJ is going to obviously be the the defense's main focus so can can Gary Trent benefit off of that a lot of catch and shoots can he play the passing lanes uh, I think if he has a big night that that is an area where the Blazers are able to to come away with a victory uh, Hassan and Vooch I think probably play each other to a yeah stand I think still, they cancel each other out but it's it's going to come down to depth and Orlando just has more of it and more frankly place. and frankly they're they're playing for something right now and I know mm-hmm. the Blazers are they're saying the right things in the media but you can kind of tell that this season's getting them getting them down just a, a little bit with everything, all of the adversity. You know, I, it, role players play better at home. Um, so I, I do have Orlando taking that game. Yeah, I mean, good defense versus us. Like, their offense is going to be – like, Marco Fultz is going to look great against one of the top four worst defenses in the league. And it's a pace-up matchup for the Orlando Magic because they are slow. And here's where it gets tricky for the Blazers, and especially us previewing these games. We have only heard that Dame is out through the Orlando game. We do not know when he is going to return. So it's going to be tough to say what's going to happen, and we have to kind of put our predictions on wax. So what do you want to say he's out for these games, or do you want to say he's back? I'm going to go under the assumption that he is going to be out for these next okay. Uh, I, I, will, I will also use that assumption as well. And so that's where we'll be making our predictions. So we have the Washington Wizards, a, a team that the Blazers handled with, with relative ease in early January in D.C. The Wizards are a team that have made a playoff push. They are now ninth in the East, just four games back of the Brooklyn Nets. And that's a team that has not made the playoffs in quite some time. And Bradley Beal has been on a Damian Lillard-like tear. So this is also Bradley Beal, who has set the Rose Garden opponent record. I believe he had 52, 51 points a couple of years ago in in this building. So he likes to shoot here. Portland is not known for our perimeter defense, but that is the matchup that I'm going to be watching. How does Gary Trent Jr. take the challenge of defending an elite score in Bradley Beal? So the Wizards are the team that is the best matchup for Daily Fantasy because they are a... 
atrocious defense, fast pace, but they offensively are very efficient. They will keep you in games. So I imagine that this is going to be two fast-paced teams playing no defense and scoring a lot. Um, it, it really is Brad Beal versus CJ McCollum. I imagine uh, Hassan has a really good game because it's Mo Wagner, Thomas Bryant, and uh, AP. I forgot how to say his real name because I haven't thought about him in a while. It, it's tough. It, and this is at home, right? Yep. That makes me want to say the Blazers win this game, but it's very close. And Damon CJ, uh, CJ and uh, Bradley Beal are uh, duel, duel each other, and the X Factor is on Whiteside going against shitty, shitty Washington defense. I think this is a game where we get mellow. Uh, as you mentioned, CJ is going to put up his 30. I, I think it's a, a carbon copy of the Detroit game. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes back and forth. Mellow has come up big for the Blazers this season at times. He's still a walking bucket. I think he's a guy you can dump the ball into the post. He's a guy who can hit a transition three. He's going to give Portland just enough. Um, and this is a, a team that I don't think we get dinged for, for going small. And so you don't really get hurt too bad by playing, you know, Nasir at the four or Caleb Swan again, getting back up five minutes. And so it, it's at home. I think the Blazers, yeah, I, I'm going to go Blazers win. Do you think Mel gets his double-double? Because it's been a month and some change since he's had a complete game as far as points and rebounds. He's had some games where he's been absolutely fantastic scoring, but only had two rebounds. Do you think he gets his double-double here? I don't. I think he's just going to get buckets. Okay. Then Portland heads out on the road for one game against the Phoenix Suns on Friday, March 6th. The Suns are a team that, for all intents and purposes are out of the playoff race. They have 37 losses. The Grizzlies have 31. They are a team that started off pretty hot this year. Um, Uber getting hurt. Really Uber got hurt. DeAndre Ayton was out 25 games with a suspension, and they just really haven't been able to, to put it together despite Devin Booker's all-star performance. I mean, to me, this is just a carbon copy of the Washington Wizards game. It's going to be CJ and Booker, uh, who... Who can do do the most damage? And if you remember, the Suns put it on us in Phoenix. And then, I believe it was on December 30th, they came back from 19 points to beat us in the third quarter uh, at home. So, they have had our number this year. They share the ball really well. I believe at one point in time, they were the top assisting team. Rubio really killed it earlier. In the association. So... Great passing teams against our shaky defense really give me a lot of pause. And Aiden is a fucking beast. He's been really good. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, th- I feel like CJ and Book have this low-key uh, rivalry. So I imagine that those two really uh, cancel each other out. I think Hassan and Aiden are going to eat off each other defensively. So it really is about... Mello, Ariza, Gary Trent versus Rubio, uh, Sarich, and Mikael Bridges. There we go. Uh, so who do you feel? And then the bench. Who do you feel more comfortable in? I think I might go Suns this, for this victory since it's at uh, Walking Stick. Yeah, Phoenix is going to get the, the victory, unfortunately, is my prediction as well. Only because it, it's in Phoenix and... 
you know, who knows if we have Dame or not bench players. Well, I mean, with the assumption that we have, it, it, it like that we agreed to. It's I like, mean, even if we had Dame, this would be a, a tough, tough one. We just don't traditionally play well in Phoenix. I know we had that big victory to open the season a couple of years ago in Phoenix, but the Nick Stauskas game, right? No, that was the um, the Lakers game. Oh. It was in Phoenix. It was before we had. St- I think it was the 2017-2018 season. Uh, Pat Connaughton had a big night. Pat Connaughton played for CJ. CJ got suspended. Uh, it was a white guy. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, and I think it's going to be an entertaining game. But I mean, if we can't beat Atlanta, um, I don't know how we can say we could we could beat Phoenix on the road. We're just not a good road team at the moment. We're and not a Portland, good team. No. At the moment. And then Portland follows it up with a back-to-back at home against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the Kings actually have 34 losses. We have 35, so they still feel like they are in the playoff picture. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10. I would say a respectable 13-19 and 19 on the road. Definitely better than our 10-22 and 22 on the road. Just as I said, the Kings were playing a lot better. I looked at the score, and they're down uh, 15 early to Detroit at home. But they have had a lot of good victories lately. De'Aaron Fox has played really well the last few games. They put Buddy on the bench and they're starting Brogdon. And I know Buddy... Brogdon? Or not Brogdon. Bojan, sorry. There's a lot of... You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, all right. My bad. Uh, uh, I know Buddy doesn't like coming off the bench, but his usage rate's really nice coming off the bench and being the only scorer for the the team. But, uh, I mean... Who's going to guard De'Aaron Fox for us? I mean, who's going to guard Hassan Whiteside for them? I mean, they're starting uh, Giles, Harrison Barnes, and uh, Belinka right now. So that that is this could be another game where you're looking at the Atlanta Hawks. Like, is the, is that going to be the blueprint for for teams against this Blazers roster? Shoot Hassan off the court. Yeah, and that's good. Like, who who does Hassan match up with? I would assume it's going to be Harry Giles. Do you because- think he plays more than twenty thirty minutes though? Because I don't know. Bro, but, those knees are fucked. But, I mean, who else do... They don't really have another big other than Alex Len. Alex and, Len's pretty decent. I mean, it, that trade to get Deadman out there really fucked up Belizia's uh, role because he played some five. Now he's getting all of his minutes at the four. So th- this is a this is a potentially weird game, and you got to think about game flow. And if they put... Be jelly at the five. My goodness, Hassan has no chance. So, I mean, if Luke Walton really thinks about it, they should try and go small and shoot Hassan off the court because it really worked well. Uh, I mean, like, the, I, I have a feeling that our paint defending big is going to have some trouble uh, with the, with this team. Even They'd go short, so he's going to get two every time, but if he gives up that three, that's just bad math for us. I am going Kings victory. Kings victory. I I, I think the the Blazers are going to get it done, uh, especially at home. You have so it, what Portland needs to do is they need to force feed it to Hassan. He is an incredibly efficient player down low, whether it's on the lob, whether it's him creating his own offense off the block, or whether it's him catching it in the pick and roll and doing his set shot. He gets overlooked because of how dominant he is in terms of cleaning the glass and protecting the paint when it comes to you know blocking shots we just don't get him the ball enough no and but that, like- that's the thing we probably bitched about him not giving Nurkic the ball enough three years ago like, that's just that's just us so i i do think we are going to win this game um 
it's at home. I I really like what how we can match up with their wings with, with Ariza and Gary Trent, and you know I just I if they're gonna go super small, this again opens it up for Carmelo Anthony. Like who's gonna guard Carmelo Anthony uh, down in the block? So I think if Portland plays their cards right, they slow this game down a bit. They get to the free throw line. They just dismantle the Kings in the paint and. You take your chances with certain shooters. Beg De'Aaron Fox to shoot. Do not leave Bogdanovich and, and Buddy Heald and uh, be jelly. Be jelly. <laughs> so no, that's I, a great I, nickname for him. I think Portland gets it done. I, I think they they split this weekend. They keep their playoff hopes alive for another slate of games before Damian Lillard probably makes his return. Sage, that is about it for us. Anything else for our fans? Uh. Honestly, I think it's time to do something fun for the uh, the listeners of the Holy Backboard. And, you know, like every week we're going to talk about the week's slate of games, what happened in the past week. But it's been a long time since we actually got to do something fun. So in the next few weeks, we're definitely going to do a more lighthearted, fun podcast about the Blazers. But maybe from the past, maybe something in the future. But. Be on the lookout for some extra Holy Backboard content for y'all. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, and on Radio Dash Radio, nothing but Net Radio, Tuesdays, 223 Pacific, 425 on Eastern. We out here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're a real one, if you've listened this far, I have to piss. Shout out Oregon Ladies Ducks Basketball, Pac-12 Champs. Can't wait to go watch him in the Portland Regional. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!